The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. This morning about 10.30, I received a phone call from a young man. He's in his mid-30s, moving toward 40. And as I talked with him, I was deeply pained. I wasn't upset with him. I was just deeply concerned because as he spoke, he spoke with such absolute assurance, assurance about very specific doctrinal issues and about how concerned he is that he be brought into full-time ministry and that he didn't think this and that and stating his positions and carving out his space. All I could say to him was finally, the gospel is not about carving out my space. It's not about making myself important. My heart was deeply troubled. I thought I'd share with you a story that I opened the worship service with at the National Prayer Chapel yesterday. It's a story out of the life of Elisha. I'm preaching a sermon series on Elisha's life in terms of Elisha being a type of the New Testament church. It's found in the book of Second Kings, the fourth chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 38. Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine. I'm always interested when I read in the scripture that there is a famine because... Famines usually came as a result of God's judgment. They usually came because of arrogance and pride and separation from Almighty God. That is certainly the case for all of Israel. At this time in history, they are still worshiping at Jeroboam's calf gods, They are involved in every kind of wicked thing, but cash is flowing. They are wealthy. But catastrophic loss is looming in their future. So now they have a famine as a warning from God. Even as in California and parts of America, we have heavy drought Lake Mead is 
emptying in this horrific drought in California. With all of L.A., Arizona, other parts of the country threatened by the loss of water in Lake Mead. There are warnings on every hand in America. There is rioting. There is a militarized police force. There is a president who is trying to move the police toward nationalizing local police. All the time maintaining that he is pro-Black Lives Matter. So you have him playing a deep double game of deception. You have the currencies skyrocketing now, the American dollar going up, because Europeans are seeing that the euro is collapsing and they are rushing to the dollar. And of course... That's a harbinger of what's coming to America as deflation and inflation wreck totally the American economy. We have warnings on every hand. We have famine in America on every hand. Oh, not just physical famine, the famine of poverty the famine of natural disasters. We have famine on every hand, and it is a warning from God toward America. If God does not deal with America, he's going to have to go back and repent for destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. America is due severe judgment from God. Now, Americans and their modernism and postmodernism have been able to shove aside in their arrogance the whole notion that there is a living God who rules over heaven and earth. And because they cannot see the king, they flaunt their wickedness of homosexuality, transgenderism, and every other kind of wickedness They flaunt their nudity. But there is a God in heaven. And he is observing. And famine is coming upon America. So as Elisha returns to Gilgal, there's a famine in that region. And while the company of the prophets were meeting with him, he said to his servant, put on the large pot and cook some stew for these men. In other words, these men don't have adequate food to take care of themselves. Let's provide a meal for them. Let's do a stew. So one of the enrollees in the school of the prophets went out into the fields to gather herbs, and he found there a wild vine. He gathered some of its gourds and he filled the fold of his cloak. And when he returned, he cut them up in the pot, in the stew. 
No one knew what they were. So the stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat it, they cried out, O man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. I've had to deal with my own heart regarding this story of famine. As I come to the church, as I come to you today, am I bringing with me any poison? When I go to the National Prayer Chapel and I worship with God's people, am I bringing poison with me? Well, perhaps you ask, what would that poison look like? Anger? Self-righteousness? Pride? The need to control, to be the man? To be the dictator? Stonewalling? Refusing to share myself? Selfishness, self-indulgence, gossip, malice, accusations. And perhaps the greatest poison that can be brought into the family of God is unbelief. What is the work of God? In the new covenant, the work of God is to believe in Jesus Christ. This young man I was speaking of at the beginning so hurt my heart because he believes in himself. He believes in his messiahship. He believes that he has the ability, the education, to teach others. And so in his in his way of being the attorney, he dogmatically holds that you must conform. I said, Oh Lord, do I bring poison to God's people? There's much poison in the church today. There's much arrogance, self-righteousness, hardness of heart. As though somehow I'm an authority, that I exercise authority over a brother or over a sister. I exercise authority over a church over those that I'm friends with? That's a part of the poison gourd that comes to the church. Carelessness? Not keeping my word? 
saying one thing and doing another? Are we not all guilty in some measure of some part of what I'm describing? I was so stricken after this conversation that I said, Lord, how can I even go and speak on the radio today? What do I have to say that would be of value to a brother or to a sister? You know, I have nothing of value as Ray Greenley. I either bring God's word to you and the Holy Spirit must quicken it in your heart and must speak to you personally or the words I speak will fall to the ground and they will be worthless. They will be counted as nothing. And so I come to speak God's word to you, recognizing that it is not my word, that I have no part in it, that it doesn't make me somebody. It makes me nobody. It lifts Jesus up or it's useless and worthless. And so I've not come today to try in any manner to sell you on something. I've not come to sell you Jesus or a program. I've not come to convince you that you need to take some action. I've simply come to lift up Jesus Christ. And I pray there is enough bread in the words spoken that your soul will be filled. And you will say it was good to worship with Pastor Ray on Pilgrim's Progress today. I am so utterly convinced of the utter uselessness of man's pride in the work of the gospel. So utterly convinced from years of watching that we don't need big name people coming with a program. We need Jesus. And the humility that comes at the cross. With humility comes gentleness. Strong, but gentle. Strong in Jesus. Not strong in my program not strong in my ability, not strong in my 
mental capacity. Strong in Jesus. Let me read for you what Elisha said. This is verse 41 of Second Kings, the fourth chapter, verse 41. Elisha said, get some flour, put it into the pot, and said, serve it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. I believe that flour represented bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In John 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. When we pray that prayer, we are asking for Jesus. We are asking if we could feast on Jesus. And he comes and he feeds us. Remember, Jesus said, I am gentle of heart. He doesn't come like a tyrant. He comes humble, gentle, but powerful. Most of us do not respect a man or a woman who is simply gentle. That gentleness must be accompanied by power. Now, some people will sometimes misunderstand a person's gentleness. And they will think that because that person seems so gentle and so caring and so loving, that they can abuse that gentleness and that that giving. But that person has power. They abused Jesus Christ. They finally nailed him to the cross. But on the third day, death could not hold him because he had an indestructible life. He had power. So I don't want you, as you listen today, to mistake my words thinking that I am speaking of a sissified, effeminate power or gentleness. I'm speaking about a gentleness that flows out of a source of great strength, fortitude. This man... Elisha put the flour in the pot of stew and the stew was healed. It was a very gentle thing that he had them do. 
He didn't dump the stew out and start over. He didn't exercise some great, impressive power of rage and anger about how could you be so stupid as to bring your poison into the pot. No. You put the flour in the pot. The gentle act of putting the flour in the pot of stew healed the stew, and it took power to heal that stew. I'm talking about power in gentleness, where we're not establishing ourselves We're not establishing our authority. We're not establishing ourselves as someone you better respect or I'm going to take you out. I'm talking about this man, Jesus, who was mild, who was gentle, but had immense power. With that introduction, let's go back to the study of the book of Hebrews. For Hebrews is one of the clearest books in the Bible to talk to us about Jesus and what he is doing right now. Have you ever wondered, what is Jesus doing now and why has he not returned And what is necessary for us? The writer of the book of Hebrews takes the first couple of chapters to talk about who Jesus is. The creator God, the almighty, the son of the living God. Son because he has been born among men. But he is fully God, omniscient, omnipresent. He is fully God. But he is also fully man. And then he comes in the fifth chapter. And he begins to talk about, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then he immediately turns back to Jesus and talks about Jesus offering up prayers and petitions with loud cries and with tears. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. See, this is the gentle part of Jesus. But great strength, because not only could he cry, Not only could he submit, he learned obedience from these things who who caused him to suffer. This is found in the fifth chapter of the book of Hebrews. And then he begins to make these astonishing statements, the writer of Hebrews does, 
Look, I want to go on to maturity. I don't want to talk about the immature stuff anymore. Let's go to the real heart of what the gospel is about, what Jesus is about. And then he turns full face toward Melchizedek. It's taken some time for me to begin to understand why he would even mention Melchizedek. He's established that Jesus Christ is God. He's established that he is the Messiah God. Why is it necessary now to turn and begin to speak about this man, Melchizedek? Some of you, as you've written to me, have said, I didn't even know how to pronounce the name Melchizedek. What does Melchizedek mean? Who is he? Well, chapter 7. This is Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. This Melchizedek was king of Salem, priest of Most High God. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings, and he blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now first... His name means, that is, Melchizedek means, king of righteousness or king of innocence. Then also, king of Salem, Salem meaning peace. So this Melchizedek who comes mysteriously into the story of Abraham, And just a brief note, after the flood, the world was destroyed. Nimrod arose as a great hunter and established centers of worship following once more the old ways prior to the flood. Establishing Nineveh and other great cities like Babylon, the Tower of Babel, All of this Nimrod was up to his hips in. Nimrod was right in the midst of it, called a mighty hunter, a powerful man, full of ego. Church tradition tells us that the righteous gathered and executed Nimrod and then cut his body up into little pieces and scattered it over the earth so that no one could claim to know where his grave was and set up another center of worship. However, his wife said that he had ascended to the sun. And so he became the sun god. And today we have his phallic symbol in the Washington Monument. These phallic symbols were found in Egypt, in Mesopotamia. They all have reference back to Nimrod, who became the sun god. I won't get into it today, but even the Roman Catholic Church has been very much affected in St. Peter's Cathedral. 
by Nimrod in the mixing of the pagan with the sacred. The Catholic Church has been very good through the centuries at mixing the demonic with the righteous. That's another day's study, however. But Melchizedek is king of righteousness and king of peace. The scriptures tell us he is without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life. So according to the scriptures, Melchizedek is still alive today, that he was not created and he was not born. So obviously, that makes Melchizedek a divine being. I wonder if he is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. I don't know. I've puzzled over who Melchizedek is for years. Because according to the scripture, he's still alive. But now, he says, just think how great he was. That is Melchizedek. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, the law requires the descendants of, of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is, their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. So the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham, with more power than Abraham, with more standing than Abraham before the Almighty God. Now he goes on to say, let me begin with verse 11. This is Hebrews, the seventh chapter, verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of the law it was given to the people, why was there still a need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it's clear that our Lord descended from Judah. Now, I want you to think about this with me for a moment. This Jesus was declared a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek by the fact of his indestructible life, by the fact of his resurrection. If Jesus had been crucified on the cross and there had been no resurrection, it would not have been an atonement that would have mattered for you or for me. 
there had to be a resurrection. There had to be an indestructible life proven in time and space and history. And there was. Now, let me read verse 18. This is Hebrews, the seventh chapter, verse 18. The former regulation, that is the former law, that is the Ten Commandments, that is the ceremonial law, that is all that was encompassed in the old covenant law. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. Now, we would argue, no, the law does have value because it points out sin. And according to Paul's writing in the book of Galatians, the law then leads us under conviction to Jesus Christ. So there are other portions of Scripture that tell us that there is some value in the law. But it says very plainly in Hebrews 7.19, For the law made nothing perfect. Now please understand me when I say this. If in your mind you are saying, I cannot be made perfect. Your thinking is still under the old covenant law. And you are walking in legalism. If you say, I cannot be perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are saying that out of a judgment from the old covenant. The old covenant, the old law, the old ceremonial system, all that was accompanying it was only a type looking forward to the antitype who was Jesus Christ. And if you are still under that law, still struggling, trying to be perfect, you will never achieve it. I like John Wesley's definition of perfect. His answer to perfection is, perfection is complete love. Love is the fulfillment of the law. It's not It's not keeping the old covenant. The old covenant has been replaced by a new covenant. And if you still function under the illusion that somehow you must struggle and strain to be perfect to keep the law, to obey the old covenant, you have misunderstood the gospel of Jesus Christ and you are in a terrible bondage. You are not free at all. And that's why portions of the modern church have transitioned to Gnosticism, mixing it with the Christian gospel because Gnosticism allows them to continue to walk in their sin and still be released from the law because they said Jesus did it all at the cross. He forgave your past, present, and future sins. Oh, yes, Jesus can and is willing 
to utterly forgive you for all sin and to remove it from your heart and your life. But if you maintain that you can walk as a sinner in rebellion against God, in hatred, in bitterness, in malice, if you think you can still walk in the old ways of the old man and the old flesh, and that you somehow can still be saved by simply saying, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior, but I'm going to walk as a Gnostic, you have utterly missed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do I have assurance of salvation? I do. Absolutely I do. My sins have all been forgiven. I have been washed and made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Have I sinned after I became a Christian? Oh, absolutely. I'm ashamed to say it because there was no need for me to sin. It was simply the the old rebellion of my heart that I gave favor to once more. But I am called by Jesus to utterly renounce that old way of the law and to cast aside the old covenant and to cast aside everything of darkness and walk in what is called in Scripture a new covenant. It is a covenant of grace. But watch. Grace is never a covering for sin. Grace, on the other hand, is the unmerited favor of God to remove my sin, to heal me of the wounds of the devil, to restore me into full fellowship with Jesus Christ and with my brothers and sisters. True grace, according to Titus, teaches me to say no to ungodliness. It is God's favor wooing my heart and winning me for the glorious kingdom of our Jesus. Now out of the opening of our broadcast today when Elisha healed the pot of stew by putting flour in it. Jesus comes and mixes himself into my life and yours. And he can't mix himself with sin. He heals the heart of a man or a woman by removing the guilt and the cause of the guilt. He wants to come and save you completely. I'll share that with you in just a moment. But let's come back. Hebrews, the seventh chapter, verse 18. And by the way, let me just very quickly give you a phone number if you'd like to share some thought about what I'm giving to you today. You're welcome to call. 877-534-0780. I'd be happy to take your call. If you'd like to participate, 877-534-0780. I'd be happy to talk with you or to pray with you. 
Now we come back to the 18th verse. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. Because he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, that is to Jesus, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, there have been many priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. The law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. We have such a high priest. His name is Jesus. And yes, we bring poison to our brothers and sisters. We bring pride and anger and resentment. We bring all that we are. And Jesus comes and mixes himself into the pot of stew of our life. He intercedes for us. He changes us. He transforms us into his likeness. He releases us from every bondage of Satan. He heals our wounds. He restores us. He loves us. I hope you hear today as I share this broadcast with you. I hope you hear Jesus loves you. He loves you in the midst of your sin. He loves you just like you are. And he's inviting you to allow him to mix into your life like that flower into the stew. He's asking, would you allow me to come in and take away from you the pride and the arrogance, the hardness, the bitterness? Will you allow me to take from you that which is harmful and is destroying your life and will finally kill you if I do not remove it? 
Will you let this gentle Savior who is so powerful he created the heavens and the earth, will you let this gentle Jesus who died on Calvary for you, will you let this gentle Jesus come into your life? Now, some of you have been in the church for years, but you've never let Jesus take over your life. You've added Jesus to an already full life, and you make time for him as it's possible, as long as you can keep all of your covenants with the earthly realm. No. I'm saying, will you let Jesus have full sway over your life? Mr. Producer, are you there? You have a song, Conlon Carter sang it. It's one of my favorites. All of Jesus, none of me. Do we have time to play that? Great, let's play it. i 
Jesus, all of Jesus, none of me. God of heaven, I know without any question that my whole heart must be given over to you for you to accomplish that glorious work of healing and restoration, for you to accomplish that glorious work of renewal. Lord, I pray now for every person listening that they will recognize how full of themselves they are and turn to you now and say, Jesus, I wish to be full of you and full of your Holy Spirit, to walk in gentleness before all men, to be healed of the powers of darkness that have held me captive. Lord, I plead your mercy today for your people. I plead for every person listening. You see the condition of their heart. You see if they are discouraged or if they're filled with pride. Lord, regardless of what the condition is of the listener, I ask that today you would come and begin to mix in that flower of yourself in the stew of their life, that their life could be healed and restored and returned. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, we have just a couple minutes left. Is there a caller? Good, let's take the caller. Hi, welcome. We have just a minute. Praise the Lord, Pastor. I was calling for prayer, and I just thank um, God for you. This is my first time hearing your um, your service, and um, I just thank God. Um, so um, I just wanted um, to um, call and a touch and agree with you, because God said if two or three gather together, touching and agreeing in his name, that he's in the midst of the prayer. Yes. So, um I'm just um, in need of a part-time job, and I already know that I uh, got the part-time job, but, you know, it's good to always um, touch and agree um, with a a prayer warrior and just thank God. And um, I definitely want God um, in my life totally, you know, to use me so I can just continue to be a blessing to others to um, share the word of God and just to um, let other um, lost souls know how good God is because I always tell people if you want to know how good God is just taste and see 
we're, we're out of time, but let me pray quickly, may I? Yes, sir. Lord Jesus, I come in agreement with my sister that you, you will provide and have provided for her that yes. part-time job that she needs to Amen. take care of her responsibilities. For, Amen. Lord, they're not hers, they're yours. Thank you, Jesus. And, Lord, she recognizes that this job will be yours. Thank you, Jesus. That it will be a place of ministry, a place Amen. of Amen. kindness Amen. and witness. So, Lord, I just touch and agree with her that she will quickly receive this job, that the door will open, and that you will continue to move in her life, making her in every respect your beloved daughter. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless you, sister. God bless you, Pastor. Have a blessed Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're almost out of time for this broadcast today, but I want to just very quickly thank each of you who has been so faithful at the beginning of this month in sending tithes and offerings to help cover the cost of the radio. This is not listener-sponsored radio. This is Jesus-sponsored radio. And I want to thank each one of you who has participated in covering this last month. And I'm standing by faith each month for radio in Washington, D.C. And for the testimony of God's righteousness through Jesus Christ to heal and restore us. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. of His glory.